If you recall the last time we got together, we looked at Joshua chapter 13, and Joshua chapter 13 was a chapter where even though the children of Israel had conquered their major battles, you know, they conquered Jericho, they conquered Ai after the second attempt, they conquered Gabeon, they conquered, or conquered the kings in the south, and they also went north and conquered the kings in the north. And uh, these were the big cities, the really big um, contingents of people. Those are the ones they went after. And, um, but that wasn't it. There, there were still lands, there were still um, places where they had to go in and destroy and, and, and to um, occupy those lands. And again, in our culture today, we don't like the thought of anybody dispossessing anyone else. It seems unfair. It seems uh, horrible. Um, and, and certainly in the uh, culture we live in today, it's not even politically correct. But back in this day, um, you've got to remember that God reserves the right to bring against any people group on the planet. He has the right to bring upon judgment upon them if they are continuing in their sin and in, in their idolatry. And he has that right to do that. And, so, and that's exactly why God brought the children of Israel into the land of Canaan was to dispossess and to destroy literally every person, uh, man, woman, and child, and dispossess their land. And, and that's hard. And that's really hard. But God told them to do it. And, um, and for the most part, they were successful. They, they did the major campaign. And, and now as we get into uh, Joshua chapter 14 and 15, the major campaigns are all over with. Now it's a question of getting into the land, dividing the land for the inheritances for the children of Israel. And if you'll notice on the screen behind me, and for those of you who may be listening on the radio, this is just a, a picture of, of the land of Israel and how the different 12 tribes are partitioned in the land according to different color codes. You'll, um, along the uh, uh, east side of the Jordan, you have Reuben down at the bottom, and then Gad in the middle, and then Manasseh at the very top, and then over to the left of that in the north, you have Nathalie and Asher, and underneath that, Zebulun, underneath that, Issachar, underneath that, Manasseh, and underneath that, Ephraim and Dan and Benjamin and Judah and Simeon, which is kind of like encapsulated in the center of Judah. Uh, and so I'm just going to leave this graphic up here on the screen as we read uh, these two chapters today. In fact, I might even just leave it up there as we go through the next couple of weeks. It just kind of gives you an idea of what we're looking at. Although we won't be going through every single town that's going to be inhabited, they'll be listed here, and I'm sure to butcher their names for you. And so we're going to look at those all tonight. But before we do that, I want to share something with you, and that is... As we get into chapter 14, uh, specifically, and 15, it begins really this layout of the land about how God was going to divide this land of Canaan to the different tribes. And you have to remember that this is a happy day. This is a great happy day for the children of Israel because they've already did the big battles. The big battles are over with. And now God was going to bring them into the land, and they're supposed to work out these little skirmishes between these little pockets of rebellion that are going on. They, they were, as they were to inherit the land, they were to take care of those things as they inherited them, as they inherited those places. But it's a happy day because the major battles are over. There's a big sigh of relief. There's a big sigh of relief. But I want to show you something really interesting. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15 because this... What we're reading tonight is the, is the summation, really, of what God had promised hundreds of years prior to Abram. And I would encourage you in this chapter 14, maybe just make a note of, of this, of this chapter of Genesis 15, because it's where God pronounces his, his covenant with Abram. Not only telling Abram, as we're going to read, we'll just read it quickly, not only um, promising him that his seed would be as, as large as the sand of the sea and as, as, as the stars are in multitude, they would be that many, but he also promised them a land, the very land that Abram was in at that time. He was physically in the land of Judah uh, at the time, even, and this is way back in, 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 you know, in Genesis, so the land hadn't been partitioned yet, but we know from the previous chapter that Melchizedek from Jerusalem, which wasn't even really uh, Jerusalem yet, although he was the king of Jerusalem, uh, Melchizedek, 
um, that he was right there in the King's Valley, somewhere in that area, which is really the Valley of Kidron. Uh, and we know that from other places in the Bible where it talks about um, Solomon's, or I'm sorry, uh, Absalom's uh, tomb. You see that tomb in Israel that looks like this? It looks like a, like a pyramid kind of with sides on it. It looks like a house with a pyramid. Well, that's Absalom, or a conish shape on the top, actually. And that's uh, what they call Absalom's tomb, and that's in the King's Valley, which is what we, um, where Abram was. And so we know he's right in the smack dab in the middle of the land of Judah, as we would know it today. But let's just read it, because it's important. Because again, this is the promise that was given to Abram hundreds of years ago. And what we're going to be reading tonight, these two chapters are going to go by pretty quick. They're not, we don't have to spend a lot of time in them. But it's the summation, the summation of these promises that God made to Abram and subsequently he made to Isaac and he made them to Jacob as well. He reiterated them and we're not going to go through those. We spent quite a bit of time in Deuteronomy speaking of that. But he is going to give him, and this is called the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant. So let's just read it really quickly, just down for a certain time. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one will not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And so Abram, you know, he's an old man, and he's hearing this promise. And Sarah's going to hear this promise, and she's going to giggle inside because she's an old woman. They're thinking, I'm past my childbearing years. Sorry, buddy. That's just not going to happen, right? And God goes, did, did, did Sarah laugh? And she said, no, I didn't laugh. He goes, she's, and God says, oh, but you did laugh. You did laugh. So Abram said, look, you've, and, and, and so verse 4, And behold, one, one, um, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who shall come from your own body shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, Look, now toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. Have you ever been out on, the, on a starry night or on a clear sky, especially if you're away from any cities? Had this opportunity this last summer when we were up in the Adirondacks. And there's no cities around. You're out there in the middle of the sticks, and it's, it's desolate, and all you see is trees, bears, lions, tigers. Oh, my. It's just complete darkness, and you're sitting there with your flashlight shaking in your boots, waiting for morning to show up. No, I'm only kidding. But you're, you're out there, and you look up at the sky, and I'll never forget one night. I stood upon this great big rock, and I'm looking up right in the bathroom. You know what I'm talking about, right, Scott? right at the, across the bathroom from where our sights are. And I'd stand up on that rock, and I'd look straight up, and all I could see was just the galaxy, the, the stars, and everything was so... The resolution seemed like it was... Like I was looking at a... It was just like a high-resolution display, and there was no lights all the way around. The only lights were those illuminated from the sky. You could see the galaxies and the, the faint distance of, of, the, of, the, of the, the, the Milky Way. I mean, just this crazy sort of thing. And that's what Abram's doing. He's looking up, and, he, and I'm sure back up, they didn't have cities like, like we have them now. And so can you imagine, just vision it in your mind. He's, he's looking up, and he's seeing this. And so God tells him, and here's the promise, part of the promise, part A of the promise. He says, look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So there's part one of the promise. And notice, and Abram believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And then God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees, modern day Iraq, okay? So I brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land, this land, Abram, that you're standing on, which is right around this area of Judah. I'm giving you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And so God gives him an unconditional promise. He does what the, some of the old patriarchs used to do. And when they would make a promise, when a promise was made, when two people were involved in a covenant, what would happen is they would take an animal and they would literally cut the animal in half. Sounds kind of disgusting. Can you imagine the boardrooms across America? It'd be a mess. So they would divide the animal in, the, in half, and both parties would walk through the pieces of that sacrifice. 
In other words, and the idea behind that custom was that if I break this covenant that we're about to make, may this be me. <laughs> may I be the one cut in half. That's how severe it was. But you'll notice as you look further on in the narrative here that Abram doesn't go through those pieces. God puts him to sleep. God alone walks through those two pieces of these animals that are sacrificed, that are divided in half. God alone walks through those. In other words, it's unilateral. It's a unilateral covenant. It's an unconditional promise, not based on uh, any performance of Abram. God says, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it. And he does. And he has. Now, there were other covenants. There were other things, times, blessings, their obedience. Israel, when they got into land, were tied to their obedience. The blessings were tied to their obedience to God. And also, their disobedience was tied to their chastening as well. And so here is the promise. And can you understand that what we're looking at Tonight is the summation of that promise. And happy are they. Can you imagine? Hundreds of years have gone by. The promise has been in your family for hundreds of years, and finally it comes to pass. Older than this country. You know, you figure our, com- our country was really born 1776, really. And how many years has that been? Just over 300 and some years, or whatever it is, 400 years, close to that. 350 years, something like that. I can't do my math. Somebody knows. But it's somewhere between 300 and 400 years. And yet, it's even further than this. Think of the promises that God has given, and finally it comes to pass. What a joyful, joyful day. So let's just read, because it's such a short chapter, let's read chapter 14, and then we're going to go back and look at it, and then we'll get right into chapter 15, which doesn't require a great deal of exposition, really. And so let's read it. It says, these are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan. And before we go any further, um, in chapter 13, if you recall, we already looked at the inheritance that God had given or that Moses had given to those three, uh, those two and a half tribes, the, 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 the tribe of Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh. They inherited that land on the east side of the Jordan. And so now we're going to look at, beginning now in this chapter, the land on the west side of the Jordan River. So these are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. And their inheritance was by lot. Notice that. As the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses, for the nine tribes and the half-tribe, For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan, which is on the east side where the sun rises. Amen? (laughs) But to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them, for the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And so Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Moses, or while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am, this day, 85 years old, and yet I am as strong this day as the day that Moses sent me. And just as my strength was then, so is my strength for war." both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spake in that day. For you have heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I will be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. 
And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day because, and here's the reason why I like this and you might want to underline this, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. What a great thing. And the name of Hebron, Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. And then the land had rest from war. Rest from war. So we're going to go back and look at this again. But we see just God now beginning to divide the land. And what's interesting, you're going to find, is it's, uh, as we go through chapter 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, um, the only ones that are really going to conquer and actually take possession of the land up until chapter 18 is really just Judah and the house of Joseph. And the house of Joseph, if you remember, is broken up into two, two different tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. And you know that Manasseh was uh, the firstborn and Ephraim, and, and so there are three, uh, three tribes there. And so they were the only ones that were going to take possession. And finally, when we get to chapter 18, you're going to see Joshua kind of getting on their case, saying, why aren't you guys going in to possess the land? Your brothers have taken their land. Why are you sitting around with your mouth open and your eyes pop-popping? Get to it. God has given it to you. Go take the land. And he had to kind of upbraid them a little bit to get them to go do that. And so... Let's go back to verse 1. It says, These are the areas which the Lord, uh, which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. And notice their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe. And the half tribe is what tribe? Manasseh, right? Manasseh, there was a half-tribe on east and west. Manasseh was kind of divided in half, the half-tribe of Manasseh, right? So they each had their different size. And you can see in the map that I have up on the screen, you can see that on the west side of the Jordan, uh, up there just uh, halfway between uh, Galilee and the Salts, uh, the Dead Sea, on the uh, west side you see Manasseh. And then up there uh, from the, on the right side or the east side of the Jordan River, beginning at the bottom part of uh, the Sea of Galilee on upward toward Mount Hermon and to the west, or I'm sorry, to the east is the other half-tribe. So notice it was by Lot that they did this. And according to Jewish tradition, Lot is really just uh, having, like, showing straws and, and casting, you know, some kind of chance, uh, using straws and maybe breaking them off and uh, our sticks and you pick the one, you know, if you pick the shortest one, then, then you get the next lot of land. That's the kind of the idea. And what they would do is often tradition has it that they would take a name of a tribe and they would stick it in one urn and then they would stick the, uh, uh, the boundary lines of a specific territory in another urn and they would literally take in and put their hands in both urns, pull out a, a tribe name and a boundary name, and that they would get that. Uh, that tribe would get that boundary. And so that's how they, we believe that they did this, or something similar to that. And the interesting thing is, is that God was in control of all this. What seems like chance to man are things that are divined by God. He knows exactly. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, it says this. It says, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision... Is from the Lord. So we can cast lots here today. Uh, which person gets the new Lamborghini parked out front here in the snow? We can cast lots tonight. We can put in all of our names in a little bowl, and we can uh, put my name in like 80 times, and everybody else gets one time shot. And then we put our, our hand, we mix it all up, right? And the odds are in my favor. And so you put your finger in there, you pull out her name, and you say, oh, Sarah Casella got the Lambo. It fits her so well, too, because it's red and it's convertible. In the summertime, that'd be really great. But that's the idea. See, God knew before we even did that that she would get the, the Lamborghini. And he knew that she could handle it, unlike myself. I'd probably smash it. But see, it puts that verse into relief, doesn't it? The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. God, even in these somewhat human chances that we use to be fair, which is really what Joshua was doing, is it wanted everything to appear fair. 
But even in the casting of lots, God is very involved in the process, and he gets his way. It's no fair, is it? But he's just. He's just. In fact, uh, in Numbers chapter 26, you don't have to write this, or write the reference down, but let me just read it to you. Because now they're going to be uh, casting lots for these different things. And in Numbers chapter 26, specifically in verses 52 through 56, we see the Lord um, uh, speaking to Moses concerning how the land was to be divided by lot. Let me just read it to you. Uh, and so and then the Lord spake to Moses, verse 52, saying, To these the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to the number of names. To a large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given in its inheritance according to those who are numbered to, of them. But the land shall be divided by lot. And that seems kind of funny because, you know, there are certain tribes that were bigger, and, and we know in... Um, in other parts of the Bible, um, it, it gives the, uh, the, the the number of the people for each of the tribe. There was a census that was taken, and so it's very easy to figure out the largest tribes. But God, just to be fair, he still allows the lot to be cast, and he's involved in that lot. And every every picking of the name, he's involved in that process, unbeknownst to us most of the time. Says uh, the Lord, uh, so to a large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance, to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given its inheritance according to those who are numbered by them. But the land shall be divided by lot. They shall inherit according to the names of the tribes of their fathers, according to the lot their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller. Between the smaller. You can also look at Numbers chapter 35 beginning in uh, verse 50 through 54. And the very borders. The very borders of this inheritance is different from the borders that ultimately the children of Israel would could have inherited. Because remember, there was a time when God had promised to Abram and to Isaac and to Jacob the land from the Nile River or from the river of Egypt, which we believe is the Nile, or it could be another river, but it's very nearby. Uh, the Nile River all the way over to the Euphrates. They never, even at their height of their national um, blessing, they never really inherited that much land. But that's the land that God had given to them. But this land that he's going to describe and what we see in the picture before us up on the screen, uh, those are the boundaries that God lays out for us. And those boundaries are actually laid out for us in Numbers chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. And I won't need to go through that, but you can write that down and you can read that later on. Numbers chapter 34, verses 1 through 12 gives what we see on the screen behind me, uh, gives that for us. So let's go on to verse 3. It says, For Moses had given the land of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he gave no inheritance among them. It almost seems a little unfair, doesn't it? Uh, the Levites, who was a, a legitimate tribe, uh, one of the 12 tribes, and an important tribe, but notice, because of their vocation, because of what God was going to call them to do, he says, those are the things that I'm going to give you. Because it's such a blessing, because you're going to serve me, tribe of Levi, because you're going to serve me, you're going to be intimate in the things of the temple sacrifices, the temple services, and therein is going to be your inheritance. So you're not going to inherit a piece of land, per se, like your brothers, but you are going to inherit me. And I love what he says. In fact, just write these scriptures down, and I'm going to read them to you. The first one is Joshua chapter 13. We looked at that last week, but in verse 14... It says this, Only to the tribe of Levi he gave no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance. So I'm going to read a series of scriptures to you, and I want you to see the composite of all of them, because in each one you're going to see a different facet of what they were going to inherit. In this first one, Joshua 13, verse 14, we know that they inherit the sacrifices made by fire. And you know that the children of, of Levi as the priests would minister, as people would bring sacrifices to the temple, there were parts of certain sacrifices that the children of Levi were allowed to keep for themselves, for food for their families, because that was their ministry, that was their job. 
And God was going to support them through those kinds of things that they and their families could survive, they could eat. And so part of their, um, their inheritance was that very thing, that, that provision that God had made in Leviticus of all those different offerings made by fire. And then in Joshua chapter 13, at the very last chat, verse of that chapter, ver, uh, chapter uh, verse 33, so Joshua 13, 33, tripping over my words. It's because I'm so excited. I love this. Aren't you guys excited? Everybody look up and smile. It's, it's good stuff. So Joshua 13, verse 33. Notice another facet of the inheritance. It says, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. We've heard that before. Thank you, Lord. No inheritance. However, the Lord God of Israel was their inheritance. Wow, what they could claim that the rest of them really couldn't. What great privilege they had that no other tribe could say that they had. They could have the land and they could have all these things, and God says, you, you, you get me. You know, it reminds me of that song that we sang, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. You can have it all. After all, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all they that dwell therein. So is it a big deal for us to inherit the earth or to inherit the one who created that earth by just going, I'm going to speak something into existence today. It's going to look really great when I'm done. And he does it. He speaks. What God do you serve? For those of you listening on the radio, who, who, what God have you served in the past? What religion were you a part of? Did you serve Buddha? Did you serve Allah? What were they able to do? But God Almighty, God Jehovah, Jehovah God, the one who created all things, he is the God that you're going to have to reckon with. He is the one that you're going to have to stand before. No one else, no one else will we stand before. So they inherited God Almighty himself. And then in Joshua chapter 18, verse 7, write this one down. Joshua 18, verse 7, what does it say? It says, but the Levites have no part among you. We've heard that before, haven't we? (laughs) For the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. So now the plot thickens. Now we got a list of things that they're going to inherit. They're going to inherit... Um, the sacrifices made by fire, number one. Number two, they're going to inherit the Lord God of Israel as their inheritance. Number three, we see this in Joshua 18, verse 7, they're going to inherit the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And finally, look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 1. Just write it down, I'll read it to you. Deuteronomy 18, verse 1, it says, The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire and his portion. So now, uh, sorry, this is a little bit like the first one I shared, but they're, they're, gonna, they're not only going to get them, but they're going to eat them. <laughs> that's that's going to be part of their inheritance. And notice, finally, in Numbers chapter 18, verses 6 and 7. Numbers 18, verses 6 and 7. It says, Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. Notice, and he speak, God is speaking to Aaron. Aaron is the high priest, and God is speaking to him. He says, Behold, I myself have taken your brethren, the Levites, from among the children of Israel. Notice, they are a gift to you, given by the Lord. Notice who they're to. It's to Aaron and his sons. The gift of the Levites is to Aaron and his sons from the Lord. To do what? To do the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve, and I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service. Wow. You know, serving the Lord, there's, there's nothing greater than serving the Lord. And you know, regardless of what vocation you're involved in tonight, regardless of your job, regardless if you're a, a working or you know, a, you're a mom, you're a homemaker, regardless if you're the CEO of a large uh, Fortune 500 company, it really doesn't matter because as a child of God, you can serve Jesus wherever you're at. Wherever you're at, you can serve him. You, you're in his service by right of his, his, his spirit dwelling in you. You belong to him. Isn't that wonderful to consider? And to realize that I don't necessarily have to be a preacher. I don't necessarily have to be an evangelist. I don't necessarily have to be a worship leader or whatever uh, vocation in the church is. Wherever you go, you are an ambassador to Christ, to him and of him and for him. 
You're an ambassador, always. So don't be discouraged if you find yourself in a job and, you, and maybe the Lord has you there for a reason. He has you there to supply sustenance for you and your family, to pay the bills for your kids, to put, them, put shoes on their feet. And it's okay if you've got a longing in your heart to serve him. You know, you can serve him wherever. If that's his will for you, you can serve him wherever you're at. It doesn't matter. But learn to serve him where you're at. Don't look at the, the, the proverbial sheep looking over at the, the sheep in the other field and the other pasture and looking over there and going, man, I wish I had that. They got Brussels sprouts growing over there. They got broccoli and cauliflower, all those cruciferous vegetables that are cancer-fighting agents. Look at them eating over there. They're, they even look nice. They're, they're, they're smiling. They're smiling, too. Look at them. They're smiling. They're happy. They're fat. They're reproducing. I have no idea why I went there. Let's go into verse 4. <laughs> so for the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, uh, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land. Boy, the Levites are really getting it stuck to them, aren't they? We got our stuff. Sorry, we're not giving you a thing. But they're saying, ah, that's okay because we inherited the Lord. What have you got? Uh, just got some land for my sheep and my cattle. And it's not bad, but we didn't inherit the Lord like you did. And they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in. And we're going to look at that later on as we get into the book of Joshua. In fact, the 21st chapter of the book of Joshua really outlines every single one of the 12 tribes gave cities for the Levites to live in because they needed to live somewhere. And so there were certain cities in each, each of these designations that you see, and every one of those places they were allowed certain cities so that they could live and that they'd have common ground around those cities for their livestock. Because if you're going to have sacrifices, you better have sheep, you better have cattle, you better have goats. Right? And so there was provision in there for that. And Ephraim and Manasseh, you remember he was, those two were the first sons of Joseph in the land of Egypt. And you can look in Genesis chapter 41 verses 50 and 52, and it talks about when these two brothers were born and how uh, the firstborn was Manasseh and Ephraim was the second. Let's get into verse 4. Um, it says, uh, For the children of uh, Joseph were two tribes, I just said that, and they gave no part to the children, uh, to, the, to the Levites in the land, um, except cities of dwelling. I just read that. Forgive me. Verse 5. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did. Notice, the Lord commanded Moses, and so the children of Israel did. They did, and they divided the land. There's such a wonderful thing about being obedient, of just listening to the Lord and, and obeying him. You know, it's one thing to hear. You know, we, we hear the word of God a lot. You know, we live in a country. We live in a city. We live in a place here in America. In most parts of America, we have such access, such great access, such huge resources at our fingertips. And yet, it's not so much the, the, the abundance of resources that's the problem. We've got stuff coming out of our ears. We can get it in any possible way. We can get it written. We can, get it, we can listen to it. We can listen to the Bible being read to us if we don't want to read it ourselves. We can be on the treadmill. We can be on the elliptical listening to Alexander Scorby you know, reading the, new, the King James Version to us. And so we have so much, but it's not so much the, the, uh, the abundance of resources. The, the, the main thing is the obedience, the doing of it, right? It, it's true that whenever we do the Word of God, that is, where the, that is really where the mystery or the, the secret of it. It's where you unlock the truth and it becomes yours because you do something with it. See, if we just hear it, like the Bible says, if we, if we are only um, hearers of the word and not doers of it, we'll find ourselves getting old and stale pretty quickly because we deceive ourselves. We think just because we read that we're good. But the Bible says it's not good enough just to read. You have to read and do it. And there's the secret because when you read it and you do it, boy, your life is going to be a blessing. And boy, your life is going to take a turn for the better. Is it going to be difficult sometimes? You better believe it. Because by doing the truth, you're going to set a lot of people around you on edge. Because they're not doing the truth. They, they might not even know what the truth is. 
They might not even care what the truth is. But as soon as you, Christian, make a point to do what the Word of God says, now you're on to something. Now your life is going to be fruitful. Now your life is going to be exciting. Because believe me, when you are in the will of God, there's no boring about it. It is exciting. There are challenges all around, everywhere. But God is going to be revealing himself and revealing himself and and loving on you and revealing things to you. And it's just a never-ending thing. And it's glorious. It's wonderful. So, as the Lord commanded Moses, the children of Israel did. And they did. They divided the land. Verse 6, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal. And notice, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said, said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me and Kadesh Barnea. I love this. Caleb and Joshua were these old pals. Remember back in Numbers, uh, I believe it's in chapter 12 or 13, when they, they went into the land, these, these two men, Joshua and Caleb, 40 years or 45 years ago from what we're reading tonight. 45 years prior, they were led. Uh, remember, Moses took uh, Caleb and Joshua and 10 others, one from each of the t- uh, 12 tribes, and they went in and they searched out the land. And remember, only 10, only two came back with a positive report full of faith in their heart, and it was Joshua and Caleb. The rest of them were like, man, this place is bad. And there's pits and pits and pits, you know, and, uh, and, and there's giants in the land. Giants in the land, and, and boy, everything is just hard work, man. I just, I don't know, I don't like this land anymore hills and valleys. I want smooth lands. And only Joshua and Caleb. And so now Joshua, or Caleb comes to Joshua. Both of these guys are in their twilight years. Can you imagine the look on Caleb's face? He's looking at Joshua and he says, remember that promise that God gave to me, that Moses gave to me about that mountain right there? I want that mountain. I know I'm 85 years old, but I've still got some fight in me. I still got some gas in the tank. I'm going to go up and take them out. I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to take them out. And that's exactly what Caleb did. And Caleb, it's interesting, because he, he was of the tribe of Judah, but because he was a Kenizzite, he was actually a foreigner, actually, to the commonwealth and the covenant of Israel. He was actually a Canaanite. But he somehow got assimilated into the tribe of Judah, and he had been there uh, um, at least he joined the tribe of Judah before the exodus coming out of Egypt. And so we know that Caleb now has been assimilated. Being a Canaanite originally, he is now in the tribe of Judah. And so verse 7, he says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, brought, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. And certainly Joshua is nodding and saying amen to that brother. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Remember, they, they were just complaining about the impossibilities. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And so Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. Why? Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And I love that. Again, you know, the ble- notice the blessings of obedience. You can't escape the blessings of obedience. There are also curses for disobedience. And again, we have choices to make. But notice the heart of Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb, especially in, the, in what we're looking at tonight, his heart was just full of faith. His heart was filled, and he just wanted what God wanted. And do you want what God wants for you? Everyone nod, because I know you do. And sometimes it's just figuring out what that is. And you know, I think it's a lot easier than what we make it. I think sometimes it's just abiding and waiting. You know, when we read the Bible, it is what, I, what we would call condensed truth, meaning you can look at two chapters in, in, in Genesis, and there could be several, several years in between one event to another. And what happens in those several, several years? We're talking 20, 30, 40, 50 years between chapters, and maybe even more. What's happening between those chapters? Time, patience, people waiting around for the promise. You know, God maybe has promised you something long ago, and it's been 10, 15 years, 20 years, and you're wondering, Lord, when is it going to come to fruition? The day's going to come when he's going to be, he's going to answer and fulfill that promise to you. He will do it. If he's made a promise to you, he cannot fail. Do you understand? He cannot fail. Everyone say that. He cannot fail. He can't. 
If he fails, then he's not God. But if he's God, then he's going to be faithful to fulfill his end of the deal. Write this scripture reference down, and I'm going to read it to you for the sake of time. Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 through 24. Notice that just the, the, the heart of Caleb and how the Lord had given him this inheritance. But let me read it to you, Numbers 14, 20 through 24. This is after Moses interceded for them, uh, the children of Israel, after they shrunk back in unbelief from entering into the land after the twelve spies' return. It says, The Lord says, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Verse 22, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly will not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But, but, verse 24, but my servant Caleb, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, and he's followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Do you see that? Just the blessings for obedience. He wholly followed the Lord, and God was going to bless him as a result. In fact, in Deuteronomy, here's another one to write down. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 34 through 38, Deuteronomy 1 Verses 34 through 38, it says this. This is when Moses was conveying, conveying God's words to the people. It says, The Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath, saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sake, saying, Even you shall not go in there. And here Moses is speaking. So Moses wasn't able to allow to go in. He wasn't allowed to go in. But now Caleb is. And in verse 38, it says, Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, Moses, he shall go in there. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Wow, what a bitter pill that must have been. But you know, even Moses' heart, as he looked around him, and because of his disobedience, right, there was a curse for his disobedience. The curse was, or the consequence was, Moses, you can't go into the land. You disobeyed my voice. You misrepresented me at a critical point in what I'm trying to share with them. You misrepresented me. How important is it to misrepresent or to represent God, rather? It's, it's important. That's why we have to let our light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good works and glorify who? You? No, glorify our Father which is in heaven. Right? That's why it's so important for us to live the life to not cave into the flesh, to, to look at everything in our life and to say, Lord, is there anything in my life that is, just doesn't add up? Please crucify it. Crucify it. Help me to crucify it. You've given me the strength to do it. Help me to do it. Give me the strength and the willpower to do it. Believe it or not, you have everything you need to succumb or to um, overcome sin. I'm sorry. Everything in you. If you're a child of God, it's a question of the will. Pray that God would change your will, because most of us have weak willpower. It's sort of like putting a, a bag of Doritos and a glass of cold milk in front of me on Sunday night when I come home from church. I don't like to eat Doritos that much, but every now and then I get an anchoring for them. And you do that, and the willpower, i got to be like, then I just cave in and grab them, right? But everything, the Spirit of God in you is able to help you resist, no matter how great the temptation is. Of course, there's no sin in eating Doritos and chips. It just depends on how many bags you eat. But the idea is, is that you need to um, appropriate that in your life. So let's go on here. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, verse 10. We're back in our text now. As he said these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. So he's an old man. Verse 11, as yet I am strong as the day as on the day that Moses sent me. So he's, he's basically making a boast, and I don't think he was, I think he was telling the truth. He's an 85-year-old man, and he was saying, you know what? I'm as strong as when I was 40. I'm ready to take out my Glock and go up there on the, on the mountain. 
and I got my magazines in my, in my, in my back pocket. I'm going to take out those Anakims, right? He was that formidable even at 85 years old. What a great, great example Caleb is. What a great thing. In fact, I love, you know, this aged man with such great faith. What does it say for us in Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15? And write this down. This is fun. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. It says this, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree, and he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that what we should be doing as we're getting older in the Lord, as we become older as a Christian? We should be bearing more fruit as as time goes on, rather than the opposite. And unfortunately, I see some Christians, they they just don't want to do anything. They just want to sit back and watch Oprah. They want to sit back and watch Judge Judy. They want to sit back and watch Jeopardy all day. And then their health starts to tank. And the next thing you know, they're eating too much. Then they got diabetes. Then they can't feel their feet. Then they got to have the foot amputated. Then they get pneumonia. And then they end up dying. What a miserable way to live. Don't be one of those people. <laughs> if you're a Christian, get in the game. Get excited about Jesus again. Get excited about your faith again. Get excited about God's word again. And get out there and minister to people. Everyone around you, just tell them that Jesus loves them. And it's hard because nobody wants to hear it. But, you know, give them that big smile like I'm giving you right now. Give them the smile and tell them that. They're going to think you're nuts. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Do you understand? Look with me at Jeremiah. Just write this down. Jeremiah 17, verses 7 through 8. What does it say here? I love this verse. Blessed is the man, Jeremiah 17, verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. And that's exactly, it reminds you of Psalm 1, doesn't it? And just to be planted in the Lord and Caleb at his twilight years, still full of faith. Let's go back to verse 12 now. Now therefore, give me this mountain, Caleb says, of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you have heard in that day how the Anakim was there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me. And I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Notice that Caleb was operating in faith and not presumption. He wasn't going up in some kind of false bravado, thinking, I've still got it, and I'm going to go up, and I'm going to do it right now. No, he, he prefaces it by saying, if the Lord wills, you know, it may be that the Lord God will be with me, but he was with me then, and he's with me now, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> what an amazing guy. He certainly wasn't a double-minded man. The Bible says in the book of James that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But Caleb was not a double-minded man. He says, God was with me then, God's going to be with me now, and God's going to be with me when I take my very last breath. And he wasn't going to shrink back at all. I love that. So verse 13, And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. So Hebron is in um, in the area... Um, actually, I believe it's in the area of Judah or Benjamin. I think it's in Benjamin. Uh, I may be wrong on that because I can't see. But Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba, for Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. And the Anakim, remember, are these, these uh, race of giants that the Bible talks about. It talks about them in Genesis chapter 6, uh, the first four verses. It talks about the, the Nephilim, and the Nephilim, uh, the, the, these, these fallen ones, the, 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 they believe that the, these race of giants propagated before the flood, and there was something also spooky that the angels did, which we'll get into later, uh, even after the flood. These things came back, and there were more giants in the land, even after the flood, and we can... Um, and so that's for another time. But let's get right into verse or chapter 15, excuse me. So, so this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah. Now, as we get into this chapter, and we're basically going to be reading it with very little commentary, you'll notice that as we're reading, we're, we're just talking about Judah. And as we get into chapter 16, we're going to be talking about um, uh, Ephraim and, and Manasseh. And up until chapter 18, it's all going to be about Judah and Ephraim and Manasseh. 
their inheritance, the lands that they were going to get, the extra land that Manasseh was going to receive. It talks about those things. But the other tribes are just kind of like, it makes you wonder what they're doing. They're just kind of watching their brothers take some of the land, and they're not really full of faith. They're not really, they're kind of discouraged maybe. I don't really know. But Joshua calls them to task in chapter 18. After they set up the, the tabernacle there in the, in the city of Shiloh, which is where this, uh, the tabernacle was first erected in any permanent way. But let's get into chapter 15. So this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. The border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin, southward, was the extreme southern boundary. And their southern border became at the shore of the Salt Sea, which is the Dead Sea, from the bay that faces southward. And then it went down to the southern side of the ascent of Akribim, passed along to Zin, ascended on the south side of Kadesh Barnea, passed along to Hezron, went up to Adar, and went around to Karkaa. From there it passed toward Asmon and went out to the brook of Egypt, and the border ended at the sea. This shall be your southern border. And as we go along with this, I would encourage you, as we're just reading names, um, take the time some time to get, to get a couple of really good maps, a couple of different maps, and see if you can locate some of these things. It gets kind of interesting because you can kind of see the border. Time doesn't really permit us to do that and be, because it's something fun you can do on your own. But, but take the time, if you can, get a couple of really good atlases of Israel, the ancient, uh, uh, this time period around the 14th century, uh, 15th cent- or 13th and 14th century, and you'll find these name places, if, if, um, and, and some of them are even unknown, I'd imagine, but many of them are known. So the east border uh, was the Salt Sea as far as the mouth of Jordan, verse 15. And the border of the northern quarter began at the bay of the south of the sea at the mouth of the Jordan. The border went up to Beth Hogla and passed north of Beth Arabah. And the border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. And then the border went up toward Debir from the valley of Achor. Remember Achor? That's the valley where Achan and his family were destroyed because of their sin of covetousness and idolatry. Um, That's the valley of Achor. And and it turned northward toward Gilgal, which is before the ascent of Edumim, which is on the south side of the valley. And the border continued toward the waters of En-Shemesh and ended at En-Rogel. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. And the valley of Hinnom is that northern, uh, excuse me, the southern part of of the the temple area, the temple mount there. And if you go to Israel with us, you'll see we'll go right by and and walk in the valley of Hinnom. And it's amazing to consider all of the... All of the atrocities that took place in the Valley of Hinnom. At one point in the in the in the history of the kings, they would have child sacrifices there to their false gods, a Milcom and and um, uh, uh, the Baals. They would they would burn their children right there. I mean, if you could dig down in the Valley of Hinnom, probably several feet underneath, you'd probably find ashes and bones and 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 just junk because that was like a trash heap. And that that's where we get the. Um, uh, the fires of Gehenna. They actually would actually call that valley because it was on fire most of the time. They would call that Gehenna, even though that's uh, it's just a valley of burning. And it was in the southern part of the city of David. Um, and so this Jebusite city. Um, let me just give you a couple things to read, and I'll just summarize. Uh, as we're talking about this Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem, uh, write down these couple of verses Uh, The first one is 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. And this really talks about when David, uh, when he was uh, king, he went up to uh, Jerusalem, which was the city of the the Jebusites. And he told one, he he made the comment that if anybody could go up there and conquer this city, that he would, um, um, what was the reward? I forget. Um, He shall be chief captain. He shall be chief captain. And so um, when we look in First Chronicles then, uh, chapter 11, verses 4 through 9, we find out who that person is that went up there. And his name was Joab, who was the son of Zeruiah. So Joab was David's cousin, or his uncle. I, let me see, it was his, his, uh, his cousin, I believe, his, uh, his brother. 
half-brother. I forget what, I forget the relationship. But anyway, but Joab was the son of Zeruiah. Now, Zeruiah was David's sister. So most of us think when we think of Zeruiah that it was a man, but Zeruiah was actually David's, King David's sister, and so it was his nephew, right? Um, um, Joab, who went up and took the city, and he became chief. That's why he became his chief uh, uh, um, man who would go out and uh, commander-in-chief of the armies, right? That's really what he was. So then the border, verse 9, going back to our text, went around from the top of the hill to the fountain of the water of Nephtoah and extended to the cities of Mount Ephron. And the border went around to Baalah, which is Kirjath-Jerim. Then the border turned eastward from Baalah to Mount Seir, passed along to the side of Mount Jerim on the north, which is Chesalon, went down to Beth Shemesh and passed on to Timnah. And the border went out to the side of Ekron northward, and then the border went around to Shikron, passed along to Mount Baalah, and extended to Jabneel, and the border ended at the sea. Now again, these names you know, don't mean a whole lot to us, but again, if you're looking at a detailed map, it would give you a really wonderful um, illustration of all of these things. So verse 12, the west border was the coastline of the Great Sea. The Great Sea, of course, is the Mediterranean Sea on the west coast of Israel or Canaan. And this is the boundary of the children of Judah all around according to their families. And so verse 13, now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. So again, uh, another um, lesson here about the, the, the giants that were in the land. In verse 14, Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak there, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Telmei, the children of Anak. Notice, he wasn't even afraid of these, these mountain of a guys, and he probably had some help from some of the brothers in Judah who went up and helped him take care of these monstrosities that were living in the land, these genetic nightmares, as I like to call them, you know, these giants. Isn't that fun to say? Genetic nightmare. Isn't that fun to think about? He's a genetic nightmare. That's what they were. <laughs> Verse 15, Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly the name of Debir was Kirjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks, and this sounds very familiar to me, like what David said, and, uh, and Joab responded. But it says, Caleb said, He who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it, I will give, to, I will, I will give a a a Aksa my daughter as wife. And so Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, so his brother took it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. So Achan, I'm sorry, um, I'm sorry, Aksa, she was Othniel's niece, seeing that he was Caleb's brother. Now, this may seem kind of weird for us uh, to, you know, these kinds of things, but... Um, uh, they did these things back in, the, in, the, in that day, uh, and the gene pool was certainly much purer, and there were less uh, mutant mutations and things like that, which we get today when families intermingle uh, today. Uh, and I believe that that's probably because of the DNA has been spread so thin that sometimes mutations occur and abnormalities occur in children when people are very close and, and relatives to one another and they have kids. That's probably the reason. We don't really know, but I'll move on. So... Um, now, it was so that when she came to him, that she persuaded Caleb to ask uh, her father for a field. And so she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? And she answered, Give me that red Lamborghini like you gave to Sarah Casella. Oh, that's not in the text, is it? She answered, Give me a blessing, since you know. <laughs> is she still here today? No, she took off, didn't she? Uh, she'll hear it on the recording, maybe. So... She answered, Give me a blessing, seeing uh, since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. And notice his generosity. So he gave her not only the upper springs, but he also gave her the lower springs. Verse 20, This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. According to their families. The cities at the limits of the tribe of the children of Judah toward the border of Edom in the south were Kabzeel, Edar, and Jagur. Kina, Debona, or Demona, Adada, Kedish, Hazor, Ithman, Ziph, Telem, Baaloth, Hazor, Hadata, 
Kiriath, Hezron, which is Hazor. This is a, one of the cities that um, we'll drive by in Israel, going on Highway 90, going down toward the uh, Dead Sea. We'll pass by Hazor, which is a very important city in the children of Israel's history. Uh, the mound of it is still there in the ruins. Uh, Amam, Shema, Molada, Hazar, Gada, Heshman, Beth Pelet, Hazar, Shuel, Beersheba, Bizjothja, Beala, uh, Lejim, Ezim, <laughs> Etolad, Chezil, Horma, Ziklag, Medmanas, uh, Susanna. Oh, Susanna. No, it's not Susanna. It's uh, Sanzana. Lebeoth, Shilhem, Ain, and Rimon, all the cities are 29 with their villages. Notice how specific the Bible is. It's not just there so that it gives you something to read or to ink to fill the page. There's a reason for these things. And these are real places. That's, that, that, that's one of the things that's so cool about the Bible is it's a record. It's, in fact, it's one of the only true records that there are in some, I mean, let everybody else be the liar, but let the Bible be true. Amen. In fact, everything they're finding nowadays, oh, this guy didn't exist, and then they find something, some little coin under the Temple Mountain. There's his name on the coin. Oh, I guess the Bible's true. Duh. Put that next to your Bible, the word duh, D-U-H, exclamation point, duh. Of course it is, because the Bible says it is. Real easy. I like that. So in the lowland, Eshtael, Zorah, Eshna, Zenoa, Enganim, Tepua, Enam, Jarmuth, Adulam, Sokah, Azikah, Shiraim, Adithim, Gedarah, and Gedarathaim, 14 cities with their villages, Zenon, Hedashah, Migdal Gad, you're probably wondering why am I reading these and just get to the end, right? Delian, Mizpah, Jokhil, Lakish, Bozkath, Eglon, Kabon, Lamas, Kitlish, Jedarath, Beth, Dagon, Naamah, and Makedah, 16 cities with their villages, Libna, Ether, Ashen, Jibtha, Ashnaz, Nezib, Kila, Ezib, and Mirashah, nine cities with their villages, Ekron with its towns and villages. From Ekron to the sea, all that lay near Ashdod. So now we're talking about the western side of Israel, there along the coast of Israel on the Mediterranean, uh, that lay near Ashdod with their villages. Ashdod with its towns and villages, we're almost done. Gaza with its towns and villages, as far as the brook of Egypt and the great sea with its coastline, and in the mountain country. Shamir, Jatir, Soko, Dana, Kirjath Sana, which is Debir, Anab, Eshtemo, Anim, Goshen, Holon, Gilo, eleven cities with their villages, Arab, Duma, Eshian, Janum, Beth Tapua, Afika, Humta, Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, Hebron, and Zior, nine cities with their villages, Maon, Carmel, Ziph, Judah, Jezreel, Jokdeam, Zanoa, Cain, Gebea, and Timnah, ten cities with their villages, Hahu, Beth-Zur, Gedor, Meoroth, Beth-Enoth, and Eltakon, six cities with their villages, Kirjath-Baal, which is Kirjath-Jerim, and Rabbah, Two cities with their villages. In the wilderness, Beth Arabah, Midin, Sekakoth, Nibshan, the city of salt, and En Gedi, which is right there along the Dead Sea, which if you go to Israel, plug, 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 you'll visit. We'll visit En Gedi. We'll see where David hid uh, uh, from Saul, and we'll see one of his, you know, his hideouts. I think the, there's been a lot of earthquakes over the last several years that have collapsed a lot of the uh, ta- our caverns that were once there. Um, so we can't get back like they used to in the, you know, 20, 30 years ago. They could actually get into some of these caves, but um, earthquakes over the, uh, over the years have collapsed a lot of those that we can't get to. But we still go up there, and you see all the, the conies, those little rock badgers, little cute little guys, and you see the, uh, um, the ibex. i never forget a couple, uh, the last time we were there, we were in En Gedi, and this is really funny. I, I say this as comic relief because after we read these names, I need a break too. We're almost done. But the ibex is like this, this goat-looking creature, and he's got two horns sticking out of his head straight up, and they're kind of at a, at a, at a, they go out from each other. And I saw, and I actually got a picture of this, of some fancy guy was there with his BMW. It was a really nice BMW, white, I think it was, really nice BMW. Bach Motorwerke. So there it is, and this ibex jumps up on the hood of the car. 
with all of his weight, and you can see the indentation of the hood of the car kind of going crunch, and he's up there looking around, and And I thought to myself, how cool is that? I'm glad it's not my car. So I took a picture of it. Yeah, it's funny. I'm sure it wasn't funny for the guy who had the BMW. So in the wilderness, verse 61, uh, Beth, Arabah, I think I read those. Uh, I read those, 62. Verse 63, finally. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out because the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. To this day. And it probably wasn't until 2 Samuel chapter 5 and 1 Chronicles chapter 11. Remember when David and his men, probably 400 years later, uh, around 400 years after this, you know, when, uh, from what we're reading now, 400 and some years later, Joab would go up to that Jebusite city and he would conquer it. He would find a way up through, and we, we, we visit this place where he climbed up this little shaft, and all the Israelite army climbed up this little shaft, and they took it. Uh, they came in when nobody was looking. They all crawled up this little tunnel in the, in the, in the, in the cistern, in the, in the water. Um, so it's kind of interesting. So anyway... Uh, you know, be encouraged as we read this. It's just really a record of the land that God had given to them and how happy, again, they were to inherit the land. And uh, it was a, a great day of celebration for them as they began to partition the land and get into it. You know, why don't we uh, let's stand together and uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, and we uh, just pray for your blessing uh, on your word, Father. Um, we know that it is blessed, but bless it to our hearts. Lord, and bless it to our ears, Lord, and may we uh, fall in love with your word all over again. And, And so, Father, have your way with us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.